God is good, isn't he? Isn't he always good? And he's kind to us. He is so kind, isn't he? And he's so merciful. Isn't he gracious? Isn't God good? You know, God wants to know you, right? God wants to know you intimately. I know we get so used to our Christian walks that it becomes lingos. We call it Christianese, right? Or churchianity. <laughs> but it is so true that he wants to know us. He wants to be intimate with us. God never wanted a church. Did you know that? You're saying, what? We are the church. He never wanted a building. A building is just a place for us to gather together to be the church. He never wanted a place for you to go to. That was an acceptable thing. God did that in an acceptable way. Just like God accepted for a time, he said, Moses allowed you to write a, a certificate of divorce. But that's not what I wanted. I didn't want you to do that. That's not my heart. I want you to deal with the internal struggles in your heart, get over the issues, and get rid of that thing, and learn to love each other. Amen. But there was an acceptable thing that Moses did, right? It says Moses al allowed it. Just as the temple was an acceptable way for God's spirit. Remember what he wanted initially? He said, get the people ready. I'm going to come and show myself on this mountain. And the people said, no. Remember, they rejected it. We can't. He's too great. He's too big. Moses, you speak to us. We'll just listen to what you have to say. You know, if we were to fast forward into 2019, do you know what that would be saying? It's like, listen, uh, you deal with God. I was going to do my thing. Let me just kind of hang down here. I like it down here. You know, God gives me what I need. And uh, he's provided the water and the food. And I'm going to complain in between. But he's given me what I need. And that whole thing about like being close to him and spending time with him, that's just too, it's just too weird. It's too crazy. You just tell us what we have to do, and we'll just do what we have to do, and we're just going to enjoy the free newfound freedom we have. Isn't that crazy? But do you know that sounds so much like what people say today, isn't it? That's so much of what the church can be, isn't it? Let's just go. Let's listen to a sermon. I know you guys. I'm just saying some things. I'm not telling you, you know, judging you here, but people think they're going to go to a church to hear a, pra a pastor preach a sermon to them. This is such a small facet of what the church is, me actually speaking. The Spirit of God ministering to us on a daily basis, moment by moment, second by second, and then the coming together. He said, do not forsake the gathering together of believers, as some do. Don't forsake it. There's an important thing that's happening here this morning. And who's encouraged, right, every time you gather, even when you were tired and you were frustrated, you were flustered, and something happens supernaturally, right? Who has found it? Even in your week, you know, it's not necessarily the words that the pastor said, because nobody can remember the words anyway, but it was the Spirit of God that touched their hearts. But so many in modern Christianity go to church, even uh, Benjamin on Sunday said it, right? They go to other churches in the region that are more fun. They got great children's programs and they're, they're exciting and they've got great worship. But then they come back to his church when they need, when they've got issues, they know that he can help them pray through it. Because the, uh, the thing is, people just want to be entertained. People don't want to be around the things of God because, you know, you get close to God, what happens? Who's gotten close to God before? He deals with you. That's a good thing, by the way. Because when he deals with you, what happens when you deal with the issues? Then he makes some room for him. You know, it's like a glass of water. You put one droplet of, of dye in water, right? You put a red dye in water, and it's going to turn pink. Put a couple of droplets in there, right? It's gonna, it doesn't take much to turn that water red, but it's still water. And, you know, it doesn't take much world to taint us. And so we have to get into the presence of God so that he can get us back to a purity and a clarity, a cleanness. But we don't want to do that because that's hard. We don't want to deal with God. We just want his blessings. We want his freedom. 
We want his protection, but we don't actually want his presence. That's for particular levels of people. That's for pastors and prophets and evangelists and teachers, right? But God loves us so much. His love is so great for us, but he wants you to know his love so intimately. That was his original design. Moses was supposed to be a gateway to what everybody was going to experience. Did you realize that? Did you ever realize that Moses is so special? And I'm going to read, I'm going to continue. If you you can listen to the podcast, but a couple of weeks ago, I preached a few sermons and referenced Moses, and I'm going to come back into it here in Exodus 33. But he was a gateway to the presence of God that was going to bring them in. Not to tell them what to do. God only wrote his law on stone because he had to. In fact, the stone symbolizes the stony hearts, the stubborn, the hardness of man. Fine. You want to do it that way? We can do it that way, right? If you've heard me preach before, if you've listened to me before, you've heard me say it. Law is law. You can never, ever touch gravity, but it still exists. It always exists. You realize that gravity is a law, right? It's a law of the universe. It's a law of science that God made, right? It's not by accident. Didn't just happen, by the way. Just a little tidbit in there. But it's a law, nonetheless, that exists whether you touch it, whether you dabble with it. Some people dabble, right? Jump out of planes and with special suits on and special helmets and go as fast as they possibly can and some jump out, right, with parachutes, and they want to experience that gravity. You can experience it if you want, but the law nonetheless still existed whether you were aware of it or not. God's law of love was always the law of love. He never wanted it to be, you know, you have to love me. He thought, you know what I'll do? I'll deliver them. I know it's hard to understand in your human mind, but I'll let them stay in slavery for 400 years. He let them. You realize it's, you know, God let it because God's God. It means if it happened, he allowed it. We don't have to really argue about whys. You know, that could be a whole nother set of sermons or study. I don't think we actually have the answer for that, so don't even waste your time. But he allowed it nonetheless. Let's just sum it up for that. But he said, here's what I'm going to do. They're, going to, they're crying out to me, so I'm going to deliver them. I'm going to do it supernaturally so that there's no doubt it's me. So they could never say it's the gods of Egypt. So they could never say, we're, you know, we gathered up and we fought Egypt. You realize that they, they were way more in number. It says that they were afraid. The Egyptians were afraid of the Israelites. That's what the Bible says. They didn't even know that. Israelites didn't even know what they had. They had great numbers. You know, but they, they didn't have that. That's not how they got out. And then the Lord made them. Do you realize in the story, this is, we're going somewhere else. Okay, thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. But do you realize in the story, they come out of Egypt, and you know what it says? That the Lord made them turn around so that they had to get stuck against the Red Sea. They didn't have to go that way. Do you realize? It says that the Lord turned them around. They came out, and he wanted them stuck there because he's still showing them his deliverance, that it's me. I'm God. Hey, hey, guys, I'm God, and I'll take care of your enemy. I'll open the Red Sea for you. I'm going to walk you across on dry ground. You'll see my pillar. You'll see my fire. Uh, oh, you're hungry. Here's some food. Oh, you're thirsty. Here's some water. And the very first chance they got, Moses, you brought us out here to die. First of all, they didn't recognize God and all that he had done. Secondly, we always want to blame people for our own issues. Always. God wants to know us intimately. God wanted 
them just to be his people. He said, I'm going to deliver, I'm going to make a people for myself. In fact, fast forward, you know they've got the law written on stone. It wasn't his design, but he did it. In fact, they get smashed. Moses has to write a second set, remember? Fast forward, he's like, okay, God's like, I can work with this. Not what I wanted, but I'll be your God. You're a stuffed, stiff-necked, stubborn people, just like all of us. But I'll work with you. I'll love you. And then they're like, but Lord, we want to be like other nations. We need a king. We need a man to lead us. See, it was always, it, it was a way for them to not have to just rely on God. It was always, I want somebody to do my job for me. I want, I, I want to see a person who's actually standing in the gap and who's thinking about how to run this nation and thinking about how to do and to protect us and take care of us. Of course, I can't just look to God for that. But God actually just wanted to be their king. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that incredible? And I want to preach to you today that that's the same thing he wants for us. God wants the same exact thing for us today. It has not changed, and the hearts of men have not changed. As people, we are in a society, in the church today, it's going to keep separating more and more and more. You're going to see a separation in your lifetime. Mark my words, you will see a great divide in the church today of those who truly want God and those who want churchianity. You will see uh, more and more and more those who will cry out for a king. They're going to look to their leaders. They become celebrities, right? They become these moguls in their eyes, and that's who they follow and not the spirit of God. Because when I read my Bible, even Jesus of himself, the Son of God, said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And the disciples were literally uh, mocked, just like Jesus, and, and beaten, and the, the scum of the earth to the world. And Paul, who got grafted in as a disciple, he really tells us many times of the things he went through, and we don't have time for those today, but you've heard them before, and you can read them. In fact, I'm going to look at 2 Corinthians today, if the Holy Spirit allows, and I'm not going to read those verses, but they're right in there where he talks about it. He talks about in chapter 3, 4, 5, and 6 through 7, some of the things that he's gone through. And the thing is that that's the kingdom of God. It was they, the real men of God lowered themselves so that they were not recognizable, so that it had to be the Spirit of God. We, as the church, are supposed to be a body that houses the Spirit. It is supposed to be a body that houses the Spirit of God. And yet, what we've made it is a place to go to, to listen to a sermon to be encouraged, to sing some songs, to have some fun, to have a gathering. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things, but that's it. That's all it's become. And if it's not to your liking, we leave or we critique and we point to Moses and judge him for all the issues in our own hearts. This is the problem with the church. That's the problem with the church. That's the problem with the church. And not dealing with the real core issue, which is just that we don't really want the spirit of God. We just need the Spirit of God in us. That's what it's about. And the thing is, the reason we don't see the Spirit of God moving upon our hearts as the way He wants us to is because we still have not died yet. We're still trying to rule. We are still trying to control. And just let me get right into this. But those words were not a waste. Hold on to those words. They're going to segue right into this, okay? It wasn't jibber-jabber. Exodus chapter 3, verse 12. Exodus chapter 33. Exodus 33, verse 12. You can follow along in your Bible or look to the screen. It says, I'm going to read right away. One day Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, take these people up to the promised land, but you haven't told me whom you will send with me. You have told me I know you by name and I look favorably on you. If it is true that you look favorably on me, 
Let me know your ways so I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. Isn't that amazing, his words? Moses is standing in the gap for the entire nation. But you have to read his words as the words that they all should have been praying and had the right to pray just moments ago. There was a separation <laughs> that kind of happened here, and, and God did, he, he put a blockade between them, so they actually don't have the right at this moment. But not too long ago, they could have been praying just like this. In fact, maybe with enough repentance, we don't know because they didn't do it. But maybe because I see repentance turn God's heart so many times over and over again in ways that I say, God, I can't believe you're turning. You know, look at, look at uh, uh, so many of the times that God was going to pronounce a judgment like Jonah, right? He comes like, this is what God's going to do. And they humble themselves and he turns. So maybe if they had humbled themse themselves, the separation could have come down beforehand. But nonetheless, it had to come down with Jesus Christ. And that's just how our story is. But Moses was praying. He's before the Lord with the heart that we must have because we're without excuse. We have the entranceway. We have the gateway of Jesus Christ back into the heart of God, to the throne room of God. We are not far off. Do you know we're not on the earth and God in heaven? That's what the devil's trying to trick you to make you feel like you're on this earth and God's in heaven. You're going to go to heaven one day. If you really want to understand the Bible, heaven's going to come down to the earth. You're not even going to go to heaven. Come on. Let's really understand our word here. Are you guys getting anything out of this today? You are completely changed. You're going to get a new body, right? Your spirit gets a new body, and there's a new heaven and a new earth. But we dwell on the earth with God. The devil's trying to trick you that it's God's up in heaven and you're on earth and you just got to figure stuff out. But that we can go to him like this through Jesus. And it says, the Lord replied, verse 14, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. Then Moses said, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. I don't want to do anything without you, Lord. Come on, guys. Don't just say it with your lips. You've got to get, you have to, your heart must say these words to him. And if, you're, if you really search yourself today, if you search your heart and you find that your heart really doesn't say those words, it's, you're saying, I can force myself, but I don't really want to say those words, then get before the Lord today. Come on, I'm encouraging you. God's encouraging you today. He said, how will anyone know that you look favorably on me and on your people if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people on the earth. You realize you were supposed to be set apart always. That was always his plan. We're trying to graft into the world. We're trying to be, you know, pleasing to the world we're trying to you know be uh cool with the world so that the world will accept us and and they don't think we're weird the bible's weird guys god to this he's not weird he's normal we're weird but to this world looking from their vision towards god he's weird god is an all-consuming fire he comes in a burning bush He's got angelic forces coming and going in the unseen realm. Come on, it's don't try to normalize. Don't try to normalize God. Don't try to bring God down to your level. We must go up to his level. He is, he is God, and he needs to be with us we cannot do it without him it's not a lingo i'm not saying it with words but we it's my heart cry today we cannot walk without him it is the only thing that sets us apart from this earth so the lord replies to moses verse 17 i will indeed do what you have asked for for i look favorably on you and i know you by name so 
You see what he says here, the exact same thing that Jesus said. Jesus is praying, and he's like, and these are the disciples you gave me, right, John? He says, these are the disciples you gave me, and I know them, and they know me. And I pray that they will be one with me as we are one, Father. And we see that God and Moses were one. God's presence could go with him. He could say those things to God, and God could answer because they were one. They knew each other. They had a relationship. Come on. When I grew up in Christianity, we used to say, it's not religion, it's relationship. And it was a lingo. It had a heart. There was a heart to it, but it becomes just lingo. It's not religion, it's relationship. You don't even know what you mean. It's like, I don't know how else to describe what you do at your church and what I do at mine. So I just say that phrase. But Moses truly had a relationship with God. And he says, verse 18, come on. Oh, Holy Spirit, we thank you for your word. You breathe upon your word. You breathe upon these words. I just pray you breathe upon these words right now. Holy Spirit. Moses responded, then show me your glory. Show me your glorious presence. It says that Moses and God knew each other already. In fact, God says, I know your name. And Moses knew God enough to, to say, God, I'm not going without your presence. And yet there was another level. Everybody say there was another level. There was another level of God. Show me your glory. Now, again, me growing up in Christianity, this phrase, show us your glory, songs got written about it, sermons got written about it. It became such an, another lingo about the glory of God. Everybody was throwing the glory of God around. The glory of God is here. No, it's not. Because if the glory was, of God was here, you'd be on your face weeping before him. You would be so low, you would, your heart would be wrenched before him. doesn't matter how good you think you were, how good he had done in your life, you would be so broken by the glory of God. That's what happens when the glory of God shows up. It says that the glory, the Lord replies, verse 19, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will call out my name, Yahweh, before you. For I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. So in Exodus chapter 34, verse 5, it says, Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him. Now they had seen the cloud before. Remember, the cloud went with them. Moses had already seen the cloud. The cloud shrouded the glory. The cloud was still God. Come on. God still loves his church. Do you realize that God loves his church? You realize even with a heathen, you know, even with pastors doing uh, hideous things behind the scenes, and it just keeps coming out, and it doesn't stop, and it won't stop, and don't get shocked by it, and don't get offended by it, and don't walk away from Jesus because of them, because if you're looking to a man, you got the wrong gospel anyway. All these people walk away from the gospel because their pastor failed them. Then you didn't know Jesus, you knew a man. I mean, that's it, plain and simple. I'm not going to say any more. But what's happening is, that even though there is all that happening, God's still in there because he loves people. But he's shrouded himself. Come on, who's ever sensed? You're like, well, God, I know he's close, but there's another place in God that I want to experience. And, 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 I, and for whatever reason, it just we can't ever seem to get there. And it's because of those things. It doesn't mean God's not with you. It doesn't mean he's not with his church. It doesn't mean he's not doing what he's doing in your life. But there is a level in God that we're allowed to walk into, which I hope in these next minutes I can preach to you. I started to preach two weeks ago. It says that the Lord came down in the cloud like we've seen him before. You may not have seen the physical, but you've known his presence, right? And then it says he called out his own name. And it says in verse 6 that the Lord passed in front of Moses calling out Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion, and mercy. I'm slow to anger and I'm filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. And he says, I don't, 
simultaneously, we don't want to read these words, but I don't excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents on the children, the grandchildren, and entire generations affected. And verse 8 says, Moses immediately, this is a response to the glory of God. If the glory of God was truly there, if you have truly experienced his glory, I'm not saying you haven't, but many times we've said it was the glory and it was not, but I'm not doubting you've experienced this. I've experienced this, and I believe many in here of you have, that he threw himself to the ground and worshipped. That's what happens when the glory of God comes. We don't run around going, I've, I've been in the glory. Look at the glory. Look at the glory. His glory, glory, glory. No, we, we can't help but worship. And this is what I want to preach to you today. All that to get to this next verse. And it says, when you've experienced the glory, it says, and he said, Oh, Lord, if it is true that I have found favor with you. God's already told him I found favor. He's already told him, I know you by name. But the glory of God, it, it rips your heart bare. Come on, church, we need to get into his glory. We need to go into that place that's welcome to us. Jesus has welcomed us. I don't have, you're going to have to go and pre, uh, <laughs> listen to the preaching on the last sermons because it just take too long. I could take your time, but I won't. But that Jesus made a way. He ripped, I'll just say it real quickly, right? He ripped the veil that separated the glory of God that was in the Holy of Holies from the people on the outer courts. You could go near the presence of God, but you can't get into the glory of God without the blood of Jesus. And Jesus provided. He made a way. So what he's talking about here is available to us. And this is what happens when you truly have an encounter with Jesus. Come on, people have had encounters with Jesus around his presence, around the cloud. But they have not experienced his glory. And you know it in their life because their fruit is self. Self, self, self. But when you have encountered the glory of God, self is gone. It's gone. In fact, Paul experiences the glory, remember? The light shone so bright it was brighter than the sun, and it blinded his eyes. His eyes literally, literally in the flesh went blind by the glory of God. And what happens is the same thing that Moses says here happened in Paul. It says that he said, O Lord, travel with us. Yes, this is a stubborn and rebellious people. Come on, church. Come on. We haven't been in his deep, deep, glorious presence of God enough because we've been asking God for the wrong things. We've been focused on the wrong things. There's a place in God that we must get to and live in like he got to and like Paul got to. Come on, Paul. They heal his eyes. Three days ago, he's murdering, right? He's murdering. Three days later, he's preaching. Because he didn't just experience God. He already knew. This is weird, but Paul already knew of God. You know, Paul knew more about God than you know today. He literally, that was his life. I don't, is anybody in here career? I mean, except for Dan in the back. No one knows God like Paul did, knows of God. Um, we know him greater, actually, through the Holy Spirit, through the fullness. But nobody knows of God like Paul did, and yet he was a murderer because he hadn't experienced the glory of God. And this is what happens when you experience the glory of God. You look, you can see, yes, about our own hearts, <laughs> Yes, Lord, we are stubborn and we're rebellious, but please forgive our iniquity and our sins. A message comes out, and the message is grace and mercy and forgiveness. And Moses, even what ended up costing him his own entrance into the promised land of God, became his mission to stand in the gap for the people. He had experienced the glory of God and understood the heart of God, that God loves his people so much, that God, even though they were rebellious and stubborn 
and stiff-necked. And even though people will curse you and they'll hate you and they'll mock you and they'll never accept you, you still love them anyway and you pray for them anyway and you keep blessing them anyway and you just keep standing in the gap anyway. Just like Paul does. And again, I don't have time, but he goes through what he has suffered for these churches. Then he has to write to them again. I've heard this and I've heard that. You guys realize what it's costing me to bring this message to you. The Lord replied, verse 10, listen, I'm making a covenant with you. It says he made a covenant with him. I'll perform miracles that never been performed anywhere, and you're going to be my people, and you're going to see his power. Amen. Verse, that's, that's verse 10, and then he goes into, uh, in verse 28, that he remained and he fasted. He stayed before the Lord, and he fasted, and this is how the law came. You realize that the law came to his heart. It says that Moses wrote down, verse 29, Moses came down Mount Sinai carrying the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant. Moses, God spoke to his heart. He had to write it down for the people, but there was a heart. He, God spoke to his heart, changed his heart. There was a change in his heart. And it says that, as he came down, verse 29, carrying the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, he wasn't aware that his face had become radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. You know, this is exactly what happened with Jesus. Remember the transfiguration with Peter? Jesus goes into that place. They got a glimpse of it, and he was transfigured. Jesus, the glorious face of Jesus. The only reason they were able to see it is because it was through Jesus. Jesus stood in the gap, just like, uh, it's my opinion, you don't have to, it's not going to shake or break anything, but I believe that the hands of God that blocked Moses from the glory was Jesus' hands. That's the position that he is. He's the mediator, right? He stands between us, and he's the one that gets us to God, gets us to the glory. He's the one that protected him when the glory of God came. He covered his flesh. It's the pre-blood, it's the pre-cross, covered his flesh so that he could get a glimpse, only a glimpse. And through the full price of the cross, we don't only get a glimpse. This is what it says. It says that there was a covenant that was made. Everybody say there was a covenant. There was a covenant that God made with his people, and it was a covenant that came through the, a price of a person just like all of us that pushed aside. He did not eat. He did not drink. He did not think about what it would cost him. He did not worry. He did not fear. Come on. He pushed aside. He got into the presence of God, and he desired more of God. God, it's not enough. And I don't want more of you so I can go and tell everybody I experienced more of you so I can write 10 books and make money on the more of God. But I want more of you just because I want more of you. I know that's what I need. And that's what this world needs. And that's the only way I can possibly lead this people and lead in this world is with your, I need a glimpse of your glory. I need to understand your heart. And the Lord gave it to him and he was able to do his job. And it actually came on the physical. His physical face glowed. Come on, church. You know, the world says, the Bible says that the world will know you by your love. He experienced the love of God. That's what he did. He loved the people. The people were rebellious and stubborn and stiff-necked, and he loved them anyway. It was the love of God that he had. That's the glory, right? Inside that glory is the heart of God, which is love. That's it. There's one law. He had to write it down for us to understand because we're dumb. That's okay. God knows that. He works with us. But really, it's one law, love. It's the law of love. Now, just in these next minutes, everybody doing all right? I want to go to 2 Corinthians quickly, and I'll just read as far as I can. When we run out of time, we run out of time. We'll pick it up. But in 2 Corinthians now, everybody say that's the Old Testament. That's the Old Covenant. Now, I don't like to draw lines. 
I don't like to draw lines between the old and the new except for this. Some people draw the lines and they throw it out. I'll only draw the line to differentiate what they experience, why they experience what they experience pre-Christ. I'm going to look at those same lessons and those same sermons that God spoke to the people, or the people spoke to the nations, etc., through the lens of the blood of Jesus Christ, the grace and mercy of Jesus. So I'm only going to divide there. I don't divide and say you can carry around a, you know, a, a Matthew through Revelation Bible now because we're a new covenant. I think that's ridiculous. The new covenant sums up the old covenant. But nonetheless, everybody say, it's still new. All right, some people say the new nullifies the old. I don't see it that way. I see the new as completing. It's a fulfilling. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish, but to fulfill. So it doesn't nullify. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, this is a letter from Paul chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. So God chose him. He just wants you to realize that first line. Hey, guys, I'm Adam. Your pastor here, chosen by Jesus Christ to be your pastor. You can like me or not, but I just wanted to let you know that God chose me. We don't like hearing that. Something in your nature, human nature, says, like, you know, who gives them the right to say that? Paul's like, I don't, you know, I just want you guys to realize before you read anything else, I just want you to realize that this message is from the Lord, because the Lord sent me, chose me, and this is the message. And he says, and from our brother Timothy, because he's writing it together, he says, I'm writing to God's church in Corinth, to all his holy people throughout Greece. So who's he writing to? Everybody say, who's he writing to? The church. Everybody say, the church. This letter is written to the church, not to the world. So the things I'm about to read to you are to you. Everybody say, they're to me. He didn't write to the world. He wrote to the church. In fact, I was meditating. You know what we do with church today? And the thing is, we got this whole thing wrong, but the Lord's working with it. The Lord's working with it because he loves us. But we got this whole thing wrong. We bring people to church to get saved. But you know, in the Old Testament, I'm sorry, in the Old Testament, in the old days, New Testament, you couldn't come to church unless you were saved. That was what it cost you to be, to be in the church. Those that were saved were part of the church because it wasn't a building. It wasn't a place. They would be out in the market. They'd be in their family, right? And they'd say, this is what happened in my life. I want to know what happened. This is what happened. You don't need to come here, Paul. I'll tell you. Jesus changed my life. And then I might bring them for a baptism and communion and things like that. But the person is all, they're coming not to hear how to be saved, but they were saved. You can do your own study, but that's really the history. Go ahead and study the, old, the church fathers. That's why sometimes when you read the church, it's so harsh and their words are so harsh because they could talk like that because they don't need to talk filtered to the world. The church is so filtered and the church on TV, right, is so filtered because we got this kind of weird thing where it's really there should be all, all, two things happening. There's the outreach, the evangelism, and then there's the, the hidden inner church. So we spend all the time preaching about how to get to Jesus, and there's no, that's why we don't have the growing and the discipleship and the strengthening and experience the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God's like, I can't fall in this place. Half of these people don't want me. They're just here for entertainment. Anyway, that's your commercial. But it was to the church, and so everything he's writing is to the church. So 2 Corinthians chapter 3, I'm just going to breeze through some verses here. He says, many good truths, if you read the whole book, but for sake of time, I'm not skipping anything intentionally, but uh, for time, the next few minutes, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, he's just, and he's going to continue on that first. I'm writing to the church. I'm Paul. I've been, you know, anointed to do this, and he's enabled us to be ministers of his new covenant. This is a covenant not of written laws, okay? And I went to Moses on purpose, and he spent the majority of our time, because I want to bring you somewhere here now. It's not of written laws, but of the Spirit. Everybody say, but of the Spirit. It says the old written covenant ends in death. Again, I read to you about this old covenant in Exodus because it's incredible. When you read that story, you're like, oh my gosh, that's what I want to experience. I want to go on the mountain of God and experience the glory of God. And let me show you something. Paul says in Corinthians, you ain't seen nothing yet as believers. If you're craving that, 
You're craving the wrong thing. Because it says, But under the new covenant, the Spirit gives life. The old covenant brings death. The new covenant, Spirit brings life. The old way, the law is etched on stone, which is acceptable, led to death. It says, though it began, everybody say, though it began, was such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face. So it was amazing. It was incredible. But listen to me, church. There's another level. There's even a greater than Moses could experience that we are supposed to. Come on, I said this a couple weeks ago in, in that sermon. You can go listen to that. But we are supposed to. If you're not craving this, then I would question your heart with the Lord. Not if you're saved or unsaved, but just where it's at. We should weigh it upon the scriptures. You don't weigh it upon opinion. Don't weigh it by books you read. Don't weigh it by the church. Weigh your heart upon the scriptures. And if my heart doesn't really want his glory, because I want what you, I want what you, I just don't really want to deal with that. Ask those questions. I just want to kind of do my thing. I just want to work my job. I just want to be a good man, be a good woman, just live my life. And I want to love you. I don't want to go to heaven. Take care of people and love people. I don't really want to like be in your glory, spend time in your presence, and like have to like preach to people. That's their job. That's a preacher's job. That's what I've been saying. We're cut, we need to get rid of this mentality. This whole system, even this system of me here, this is not even God's way. That's He's okay. He's working with it because this is what you've been raised with, what you know, and, and I don't know what else to do either. But really, all of us are preachers of righteousness. Everybody in this room should be preaching to each other. If it was God's way, we'd be getting together and be like, I can't wait to get in this room and tell you what God did in my life today. And not, oh, oh. Sorry, I just, I had a long night doing nothing that matters to God. But, uh, oh, so I'm just tired today. Listen, it's funny because it's true. Because we got this whole thing wrong. We should be so uh, enamored by God. We cannot wait to get around our fellow brothers and sisters and say, let's experience something together and let's just explode together. It's not hype. It's not churchianity. I'm not trying to build something up. That's real. And it says that there was a glory. It was so great they couldn't even look at his face. It says, for his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. See, because it was a glory through flesh. Moses still didn't have the blood of Christ, right? Moses had his faults, and his faults end up keeping him out of the promised land. But nonetheless, the glory was on him. But we, it says... I'm just going to let the scriptures preach instead of me. Verse 8, shouldn't we expect? Come on, everybody say this. Shouldn't we expect far greater glory? We read about Moses like that's an incredible Old Testament story. God did things differently back then. That's just how God worked back then. We read the Bible and like God used to do miracles. He used to do things like that. Shouldn't we expect far greater, greater than, greater than getting into the presence of God and my physical face shining with the glory of God, that his heart changes my heart, and then I inscribe the words that I have for somebody else, that a message from God comes to me, to somebody else in need? Greater than that, it says it under the new way now that the Holy Spirit is giving life. See, the Holy Spirit, when he came upon us through the purchasing power of Jesus Christ, we were welcomed into that place of glory where we're supposed to live. In fact, let's just let the scriptures again preach it for these. Are you guys okay for a few more minutes? It says in the New King James, it says in verse 8, the ministry of the Spirit is more glorious. Verse 9, the ministry of condemnation had glory, 
but the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. That the ministry of the Spirit and the ministry of righteousness is a greater glory. And that's the glory we have. Verse 10, back in the NLT. In fact, I love how the NLT says this. In fact, that first glory, everybody say that first glory. It says it was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. The glory of God that Moses experienced doesn't even compare to the glory of God that we have through the Holy Spirit, through righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which is the first price, and then brings in the Holy Spirit. And then in the verses here, but just for time, in case I don't get to them, he writes the law in his heart, our hearts with his own hand. He doesn't need stone anymore because the Holy Spirit inhabits us, and he just writes the law in your heart. And you don't need to go, listen, go to the Bible because you are still dealing with flesh. But really, when we've had a revelation of God, and when we have actually been in his, like, in his true glorious presence with him, uh, you already know what it says before you read it, and the word just confirms what's in your heart. Come on, that's the Bible. When you read it, you go, I knew that. I knew I shouldn't murder. Read the Bible and it confirmed it, but I knew that that didn't, just didn't feel right. We, we laugh, but we, we're talking about graffiti everywhere, Don and I. You see it everywhere. And it's funny how people just feel like they have the right to write their tag on anything, anywhere. And no one's going to tell them otherwise. They have the right. Doesn't feel wrong to them at all, in fact. They've gotten so hard. So we might laugh because we're so far on the other side. But honestly, we should know by the Holy Spirit what is right and wrong. We're not trying to live by right and wrong. We're living by the Spirit, and He's directing us. In fact, I've preached it before. When you live by the Holy Spirit, it'll actually be greater than the law. Because Jesus says the law says this, I say this. The law says that, I say this. The law says this, this is what I say. He takes it to another level, greater level. Right? The Bible says don't be drunk, but the Lord might be calling you not to drink at all. You might be like, well, it just says I can't be drunk. Are you reading it by the law? What's the Holy Spirit really put on your heart? Because you know when you're sitting there and the world's around you and you're drinking a beer just like everybody else watching the game. I'm not saying you're going to hell, but I'm just saying something in your spirit's kind of pricking you going, just doesn't feel right. Listen to the Spirit instead of the law. You can go to the law. If you want to go to the law, go to the law. Don't be drunk. The Holy Spirit's got another level for you. If you listen to Him, come on, if you listen to His law, which is greater than law, it's just a knowing, not a law. You're not like, well, is it, you know, my body weight equals, I can technically drink three, you drink one, so I mean... It's not really about what we're drinking and who's drinking, you know. We can go there, but we just trust the Spirit of God. Sorry, I don't know why I said those, those things. That's probably for somebody in here that's, that's not been listening and you need to listen. That's why I'm not pointing or looking because I'm not going to judge anyone in that. That's between you and God. It says it's not even glorious in all, at all. It says, verse 11, if the old way which was, has been replaced, okay, so it's been replaced. It's not nullified. It's that it's been replaced by, it says, if that was glorious, how much more glorious? He's like, I need to, I need to explain this a little. I don't think you guys are going to get this. So Paul's like, let me just explain it a little bit deeper here. I'm not going to just say it in a statement. I'm going to keep going. He says, if that was glorious, how much more glorious is the new which remains forever since the new way gives us such confidence he says we can be very bold we're not like moses so this is what he says paul says the same exact thing that moses says moses has an encounter with the glory of god and what happens the one thing he prays he only prays one prayer in the glory of god not lord oh well i'm here gosh well i'm here i just got into your glory and well i'm here i really need this and i need that i need you to fulfill some things my job really stinks right now i need a better job and uh, I, I'm, 
just going to come out of your glory and just know you're going to make everything in my life perfect. No, it caused him to cry out for his people. You get into the glory of God, it will cause you to, you don't look at anybody or anything else uh, 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 that matters in the moment. You see the core of the issue that they need God and that God will use you. He cries out for them, and the very same thing, that's what Paul says. He starts comparing it here to his message, to the message of Moses, and he's like, and I don't even need a veil. We don't veil the glory of God anymore. He says the veil can be removed in verse 14 by believing in Christ. So once we believe in Christ, that veil comes off, and now the glory is there. If they don't understand, verse 15, they read the words of Moses, and it says in verse 16 that someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Verse 17, for the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. All right, that's the freedom he wants to bring, and the freedom only comes. Listen, Paul got a hold of the glory. God had an encounter with him. Paul responded. You realize Paul didn't have to respond when the glory came, Paul responded by repentance. Paul repented before the Lord and went out and ministered. The glory came and it broke his heart. He responded and became a minister. He doesn't get married. He doesn't build a kingdom. He doesn't do anything. He literally just gives his life to the very last breath. And history tells us until he was literally beheaded. Besides all the other beatings that should have killed him anyway for God. There's so many more things I could say, but just skipping ahead, I'll close with this. He says, in verse, uh, chapter 5, chapter 5, let me just sum this up. He says in verse 10, we all must stand before Christ to be judged. So we will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done to this earth, in this earthly body. Who is he talking to? Just a quick reminder before I finish closing here. Who is he talking to? The church. That's right. That's why I read verse 1. Chapter 1, verse 1. He's, and so he's talking to the church. People think this is for the world. You know, once you're in Christ, that's it. It's all good. But no, he's talking to the church. We're all going to answer for what we did with our life. Every one of us is going to answer. So Paul tells you, you know what? With that said, he's like, I just wanted you to know that. That goes for all of us. But verse 11, because we understand our, I want you to say this word, because people don't like saying this word when we talk about the things of God. What's that word? Fearful, Fearful responsibility to the Lord. Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard at building our own kingdom. We work hard to pray for our needs because God's going to answer them because we've been saved because we're king's kids. We work hard to persuade others. God knows we are sincere, and I hope you know this too. Paul spends a lot of his letters trying to convince him of his heart that he's sincere. It says in the New King James, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, the terror of the Lord we persuade men. Verse 14, back in the NLT, either way, Christ's love, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. So he's just stating some things to the church that we should know, right? We've died to our old life. Verse 15, he died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ. All right, that's why it's a greater glory, because his life literally replaces yours. Moses came down and was still trying to do it in his own strength. We know that. We don't have time to preach that. He had to deal with that. We just say, I don't have the strength. Holy Spirit, and that's what Paul, in the same book of Corinthians, he tells us later. I had to come to the revelation that, 
it's in my weakness that I have my greatest strength. In fact, just so I didn't think it was me, the Lord allowed Satan to keep pricking me, which caused me pain and suffering, and it was annoying, but it kept me humble before him, and it kept me, real, it kept me in that place where I had to rely on God. It was not me. God did that to protect him, because Moses didn't have that protection there, lost it, and he was protected. But it says this. It says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back, verse 18, to himself through Christ, and God has given us this task. Okay, so here's, here's it. Here's what we're coming to. Just like, come on, we get into that glory. He's talking about it's a greater glory, and this is its purpose. It says he has given us the gift. It's a task of reconciling people to him. Verse 19, for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and he gave, I want you to say that out loud, and he gave us, come on, say it again, us, this wonderful message of reconciliation. That's your purpose. He reconciled you. Paul said, Jesus reconciled me. Oh, what a wretch I am, Paul writes. What a wretch I am. What a sinner I am. But he reconciled me. And I have no choice but to carry the message. I received a message of reconciliation. I didn't just receive reconciliation but i received the message of it i have become a reconciliation for jesus so we are christ ambassadors god is making his appeal through us we speak for Christ when we plead come back to God the reason we have not seen his glory the reason that all the people that have claimed to see his glory are liars because there was no humility there was no breaking of the heart and there was no message that came out of it that said it's not I I'm going to just lay my life down. I don't want a name. I want to be a nobody. In fact, publish the book and don't even put my name on it. Because I just want to see people come to Christ. That is our message. If you have this is simple. If you have received him, now you are a carrier of his glory. If you have received the Holy Spirit, you are not meant to live and hang in that. And everybody thinks it's fun and it's cool. And there's, an, there's part of that. That's fine. You want to have a moment with that, but you're supposed to carry it. Moses took it down the mountain with the law. We take it down the, law in a, in, in, down the mountain in a greater way. We, we don't have to carry law. I carry the Spirit. I don't have to come and just tell you what to do. I come and I bring the Spirit of God into your life and I put my hand upon your shoulder and I begin to speak into your life and something happens in your spirit and you're changed and there's a revelation and you just quit smoking and quit drinking and quit thinking this way on a whole nother way, a whole nother level. Not because you were told you can and you can't do, but because the Spirit of God did it. That's the far greater glory that we must be carriers of. Amen. 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 As you know, my closing line, we could just keep going, but we're going to stop there. We just thank you, Jesus, for your message. I thank you, Lord, that you put inside of our hearts. Burn it in our hearts, Lord God, and sear it upon our minds, Lord, that we would use our remaining time for the kingdom, that we would stop wasting the time that we have with foolish things and foolish desires and wasting away on our pleasures like james says you pray and you're praying and you're praying and it's only for your pleasures and that's why you're not seeing your answers but i thank you lord jesus for the kingdom of god that we would be the real church 
carriers of your glory, Lord, and not proud of it, Lord, but proud to labor with you and to suffer through it with you, Lord, to get this world the message that we have, that we would bring the freedom, Lord, that we have in our own hearts. Thank you, Lord Jesus, and just give you glory, give you praise. Amen. Amen.